Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Good morning. Happy Tuesday to everybody. Chad and Nate. We are broadcasting live from Breaks Plus over here at 6670 South Yosemite Street in Centennial, uh, connected to Anna's Norwegian Bakery. Uh, so if you want some uh, break uh, fluid change or some baked goods, this is the spot to be. Uh, Rachel Vigil will be here later on to give away our fan uh, Get Ready to Ride t-shirts. Uh, but for now, partner, uh, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Breaks and cakes. Breaks. <laughs> breaks we got breaks and, and cakes here. Breaks um, and cakes. I'm good, dude. It. We're hanging out um, with, with Mike and Nick, who are working the desk here. And uh, we're just chopping it up. Mike's a Raider fan. Mike's a Raider fan. He said he was going to bring his, his Raider shirt, and he, and he didn't do it. He's wearing his Breaks Plus shirt. But they're taking good care of us over here. Before we get into this football talk, I want a moment of silence. I, I read yesterday that... Uh, Klondike is discontinuing the Choco Taco. I saw that. Did you hear that? Yeah, see, Mike saw that too, man. It's it's, it's not cool. It's not cool. I think they're going to get some pushback like like Taco Bell did on the Mexican pizza. Yeah, yeah, the Choco Taco is definitely a a favorite of mine as well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm (laughs) the moment in silence, one moment. All right, there we go. Uh, You know what? Uh, Yesterday, I was uh, doing an interview for a radio station in Texas, and I was, uh, you know, they were going to ask me some Deshaun Watson questions. So I just typed in uh, Deshaun Watson just to do a quick look at what was the latest, greatest news so I could be prepared for the interview. Is he a fan of the Choco Taco? Uh, No, no. But but how this connects to you and I into Denver is there was the uh, John Gruden uh, quarterback camp thing that he did used to do for oh, ESPN. Wow. Yep. Um, so Deshaun Watson was one of those, and then uh, I watched the entire Russell Wilson one. Oh, and that was uh, a fascinating, <laughs> illuminating uh, dive into into that. That was 2012 when Russell Wilson did the, the Gruden QB camp, and uh, the. He was the, he's the exact same dude. So as much as people have talked about Russell Wilson coming in as some kind of humble, uh, you know, not first-round quarterback pick to Seattle, and now he morphed himself into Team Russ and then the entourage and the, all the people that come with him, his own massage therapist and his ART guy and his guy who goes up and tells the coach, you know, Russ has had enough reps today, all that stuff. Um, he was exactly the same, slightly corny, uh, speaking in cliches, dude, back in 2012 that he is today. A little bit more polished, a little bit older, maybe a little bit wiser with some of the word choice, but pretty much the same dude. So I thought, okay, that was interesting because the perception has been that somehow he changed. Mm. I don't think there's been a change, maybe an evolution, maybe a growth in this process, but an actual change I did not see. Yeah, so he's always believed that he was destined for greatness. Yes, right? he said that. Yeah, and he's always believed that even – he's been doubted all of his life, right? He said that. <laughs> he's been, uh, you know, um, underappreciated for his skill set. He and, said that. Right. So, so that's kind of the playbook, right? Right. And sometimes some of the critique we have of Russell Wilson is that he speaks in Disney cliches. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's great for content. That's great for – going back and looking at him and John Gruden because John Gruden also speaks in cliches. Both of them were, it was a cliche fest. But um, how, do, how do you relate to your teammates? I think that's really important because not every teammate has that same sense of destiny. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's not every teammate is fulfilling the same sort of dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, quarterback, of course, is a different kind of dream. Uh, being the leader, being the you know square jaw uh, that everybody takes pictures of and wants to talk to after the fact. You got a lot of grunts on your team who aren't ready for the camera, who don't have you know cliches ready, and who don't have feel that sense of leadership destiny that he has. So it is crystallized for him to the point where look when he creates this content. When we get to see how it's produced in his camp, it has a certain feel. But the games are, are bigger than that. And, mm. and now we're going to find out, you know, if all this preparation works. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The game is the ultimate truth teller here. And uh, I just hope, for the sake of the team, that the, the Russell Wilson experience can now take a backseat to the Denver Bronco experience. Because it's about building this team. You're out there at training camp, man. It's not all eyes on Russell and what's Russell doing. No, this, it's this whole team trying to come together. So how are they going to do that? I encourage Russell's team his production team to lay off the content for, for a while now. Let's, let's let the Broncos be the content. Let's let the preseason games and games be the content. Let's see the, you know, what they're doing as a team out there being the content. Um, this has been a really long buildup to this season so far, and it's been very exciting. And now let's let the team do the talking. We're broadcasting live from Breaks Plus and Centennial for the final giveaway of our free limited edition extra soft. Man, you got to fill these t-shirts coming later today at noon. Shirts are available while supplies last. Limit one per person. Our camp shirts are in high demand every year, so come on down early. Get all the details at denverfan.com slash shirt. Uh, I'm... uh, Put my shirt uh, in the uh, in, in the closet, getting prepared for wearing it uh, tomorrow to opening day over there at uh, UC Health Training Center. I know you and I are both excited about that. And to your point, I'm excited to see some football. It's been hypothetical list. It's been conversations about what somebody at a video game company rakes our players. It's right. been conversations about the folks at PFF or as you like to say, and how they rank our players. Yeah. So now we'll get a chance, you and I get to get a chance to go out there and see the players and begin to actual do uh, actual football talk, not hypothetical talk or talk based off of someone else's article or list. Yeah, and a quick note, um, I think it's August 9th, the Broncos are actually going to be turned over to the new ownership group, right? Correct. And basically by that time, camp will be almost over. I mean, it'll be, you know, two weeks into it. But this is the last training camp run by the Bolins. Mm. And there is a, every team has a different feel for training camp. They run it differently. This is the very last one they're going to do. And so the feel of this training camp, I think, is going to be, um, well, this is the last one. And so I think, um, you know, we got to pay homage or homage. Which one is it? I think it's both. For, for me, it works both. Homage. Mm-hmm. But it's, per, it's spelled H-O-M-A-G-E. It's French, which, right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. But we got, but we got to pay homage to the <laughs> to the bowling experience here in training camp. They've always run training camp very well, uh, a tightly run ship. Um, players taken care of, the fans taken care of, the line of sight of the fans being accounted for, the media being treated very well. And so um, I expect no no less than that this time. And I'm looking forward to kind of soaking it up and uh, being around it and being able to say goodbye to some of you know my friends. Obviously, not everybody's leaving. But Joe Ellis is leaving. Um, the brass is leaving. And so um, hopefully we can all bid him farewell. The uh, Walton Penner Group, uh, they, they, their ownership comes up for a vote with the owners meeting on August 9th. It's an expectation they'll get the required 
three-quarters percentage of the owners to vote in favor of that transaction. I think the owners will definitely willing to welcome the wealthiest owner in uh, NFL history, I probably in, in all of sports history, if I'm understanding correctly. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's going to happen August 9th. And yes, to your point, uh, it'll be the end of the Boland family ownership, who have done a tremendous job here in Denver, establishing the Denver Broncos as a pillar in our community and uh, a organization that tries its best to always do the right thing. Yep, yeah. yep. And Robert uh, Robson Walton yes. is about to come in and flop it on the table. <laughs> well, when you got $70 million, you can flop it. It's a pretty big flop out there. What are the expectations for Russell Wilson uh, in year one of this Nathaniel Hackett offense? Nate and I, we'll talk about that next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Welcome back in, Chad and Nate. We are broadcasting live from Breaks Plus at 6670 South Yosemite Street in Centennial. Uh, Stop by today from 12 to 1 to get your limited edition training camp t-shirt swag and exclusive offer. An oil change for $10.43. I see how they did that, 104.3 The Fan. And more. Uh, Breaks Plus has many convenient locations to serve you. Visit BreakPlus.com for locations and money-saving coupons. Did you call it swag? Swag. Swag. I say swag. Swag is something else. Swag and, and, and swag. Swag and swag. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's uh, yes, yes. You're <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're meeting spider around the corner for swag. <laughs> Uh, you can tell what I did in high school. By the way, uh, handball courts. Then, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, the. Conversation uh, that I started off uh, at the after the end of the first segment was about uh, Russell Wilson and the expectations for him in year one of this Nathaniel Hackett offense. Um, I know everyone's obviously excited about Russell Wilson becoming a Denver Bronco. Uh, I share in that high level of excitement, but at the same time, uh, it is year one. And there is a feeling out process. And as much work as Russ has done in San Diego with the receivers, as much time as Russ and Nathaniel Hackett have spent together trying to uh, have a meeting of the minds, in the end, uh, it has to be done on the field. It has to be proven on the field. It has to be polished up on the field. What are your expectations here in year one, particularly early in the season? Yeah, so while, so while the credentials of Russell Wilson cannot be denied, he's he's fastest quarterback ever to 100 wins, what, eight Pro Bowls, eight or nine Pro Bowls, two Super Bowls, one Super Bowl victory. Um, he's been, you know, top top ten, top five quarterbacks. And obviously Nathaniel Hackett, from the, the lineage that he's from, he's a son of a, of a successful NFL coach himself. He's been around the game his whole life. He has a system in mind. It's the old school West Coast system. Uh, he had a lot of success the last three years in Green Bay. They won 13 games in all three of those seasons. But at the same time, there's a lot of other teams in the NFL who are pretty good, too. There's a lot of other players who work really, really hard, too, and who have been together a little bit longer, uh, especially in this division. The division, the AFC West, is pretty stacked. We've talked about that at length. If you look at Nathaniel Hackett's track record last year, do you remember week one last year when the Packers lost to Pittsburgh and only scored 10 points? Yes. And we, and we were all predicting the demise of Aaron Rodgers because uh, we were just an, were annoyed with the guy. That was you. Yeah, that, that was me. That, that was, was me. you. It wasn't yeah. me. That was you. Aaron Rodgers is disinterested. He doesn't want to play yeah, anymore. Yeah, he's over it, man. He's, he's over it. He's done with football. He wants to go hang out and take ayahuasca in the yeah. mountains with yeah. the, all his Hollywood friends. Yeah. Yes, that he's, was you. 
He's, he's, he's still dripping from his Panchakarma cleanse. Yes. Okay? <laughs> That's not... <laughs> but, um, no, they figured it out. But that was week one, right? Uh -huh. so, so, so is that part of Nathaniel Hackett's process kind of kind of coming out of the gate a little slow there? We don't know that. Um, we are also chalking up game one as an easy win for the Broncos, which I think is very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. There's no other coach in the world who knows Russell Wilson better than the guy we're going to go play in week one, right? right? Pete Carroll knows this guy. He has a book on him, and it's going to be super-duper loud there. These guys are going to be full of spite. If you look at the spite meter, it's probably in favor of the Seattle Seahawks and that fan base who want to stick it to Russell. This is not going to be a cupcake win at all, especially considering there are limited practice reps limited padded practice time and you're learning a new offense that Tim Patrick said is incredibly complicated. He said it's one of one. This guy, Tim Patrick, is a smart football player who's had to use his brain to stick around and make and carve out the career that he has now. So I just think all these factors involved. Offensive football takes a while to gel. They're implementing a new system for the offensive line as well. Mm -hmm. These guys are trying to block a new system, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to take some time. Only three preseason games. Of course you want to limit the reps of guys and not get them hurt. So they just don't have a lot of time to come together. For that reason, I think we're going to be leaning heavily on the defense to make plays in the first half of the season and to keep us in it uh, until these things get clicking. I know Peyton Manning, when he came here, it took a while to get clicking as well. Once they did, the floodgates opened. But this is also a different situation than that. First-time head coach, first-time OC, first-time DC, first-time uh, special teams coordinator. Some people don't think that's a big deal at all. Cecil doesn't think that matters at all. That's ridiculous, Cecil. That, 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 is, that factors zero into these this team's uh, Super Bowl aspirations. <laughs> yeah, Johnny. Good one. But I just think it does matter. I think experience does matter. You talked about this as well, Chad. You know, we're better in year two of our show than we were in year one. Nathaniel Hackett's never had to be the He didn't even call plays last year. Right. Right? He wasn't calling plays. He also wasn't calling the timeouts or deciding when to go for it on fourth down or when to pull a guy out and put a different guy in because that guy is sucking. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff involved. Who are the guys that are going to help you? Who are the guys in your ears? Uh, it, it, you know, giving you analytics and stuff like that. It's just going to be a work in progress, I think. So my expectations are not super high for the offensive side of the football coming out of the gate. Okay. Uh, according to this text line, just to correct this, swag and swag are used interchangeably all the time from 303. And then uh, also from the 970, Michael Scott <laughs> taught us that swag stands for stuff we all get. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess like swag is something that swag. I would hear. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, growing up in, in California, referring to something else. Oh, yes. You got to give quality. me some of that uh, plant that you're <laughs> chiefing on, man. Exactly. Uh, we are uh, broadcasting live from Breaks Plus and Centeno for the final free uh, giveaway of our uh, limited edition extra soft t-shirts coming out later today at noon. Shirts are available while supplies last limit one per person. Our cam shirts are in high demand every year, so stop by early. Get all the details at denverfan.com slash shirt. Can, uh, I, can I, can I, can I? Yes, please. I, the text line is just, I hear this all the time, okay? You forget who Seattle's quarterback is, though. Gino or Drew, I think we're good. Yes. So this assumption is that it's quarterback versus quarterback. Right? right, and and the better quarterback's going to win the game every time. Didn't Drew Locke beat um, Justin Herbert head to head? He did. Okay, it's not about the quarterback versus the quarterback. It's about the Seahawks versus the Broncos. These are teams of football players. They're going to play against each other. I know it's really easy to reduce it to the quarterback versus the quarterback, but they are not 
sword fighting on the 50-yard line. <laughs> okay, I know that's what a lot of people want to see. The quarterbacks won't even be on the field at the same time. Never. So so how's the running game? How's your offensive line? How's your special teams? Um, how's your defense playing? How are your receivers actually connecting with these guys? There's so many aspects to the game that can't be reduced to the skill level or track record of your quarterback. And, and to do that kind of discounts uh, your team, uh, the team you're about to face, and you never want to do that. You all want to give proper respect to the team you're about to face. This is a team full of professional football players who value uh, the position they're in and don't want to lose it. They're going to be training just as hard as you are, preparing just as much as you are. They may not be putting it on the Internet, but they are working hard. I promise you that. They're going to come to take your lunch. And if you think, it's oh, it's just Drew Locke, we got this, or it's just Geno Smith, there's going to be no problem, then you're going to get beat. Um, and so hopefully the Broncos are not kind of listening to that chatter. Uh, our analysis of training camp 2022, ready to ride, this week will be presented by Elite Sportsbooks. Thanks, Elite Sportsbook. Um, the thought that uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fascinating to me to read the text line now that Drew Locke is no longer a Bronco because for the most part the Drew Locke apologists have all gone away. But we were told constantly that Drew Locke just needed a chance and how good Drew Locke actually was if he was just given a chance. Now suddenly uh, the Seahawks have absolutely no shot that Drew Locke is their quarterback. It's interesting the juxtaposition between Drew Locke being our guy and now being a Seahawk and now suddenly he's not very good at all. Well, I, I do think there was a split in Broncos country right. with the Drew Locke thing. There's people who definitely believe that he could never, ever, ever be a good quarterback. Ever, ever. Ever, ever, ever. But there were some who, like me, who actually believe that he could be better than we saw. I think that Again, you know, discounting either Gino or Drew and thinking it's going to be an easy win because of one of those guys is under center is a mistake because look at what if, – if you're going to judge Drew Locke through that lens, you've got to judge, you know, Corlin Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy. Um, the entire offense last year was bad. The last several years was bad. We know that. Coaching does matter. Coaching does help. I'm interested to see if Drew Locke improves under with different kinds of coaches, uh, a positive sort of reinforcement approach as opposed to, eh, just don't screw this up, kid, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to put it in your hands because we don't trust you, that type of thing. Football's not supposed to be played like that. You're supposed to attack. You're supposed to press the issue. The Broncos didn't do that on offense, whether it was Teddy or Drew under center. And so I think the receivers' numbers were reflected in that approach, and the entire team's success was reflected in that approach. They tried to go... Win it because of defense. No, we're good. We'll play conservative offense. That's not how the, uh, the NFL works these days, especially. Uh, you look at the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, two number four seeds, the Bengals and the Rams, both aggressive offenses that took chances and pressed. I think that's the formula there, and, and you hope your defense can hold up their end of the bargain. But um, I don't think Drew Locke is better than Russell Wilson. I, I'm interested to see, though, how he performs in Seattle. Okay. Uh, from John in Cheyenne, can I trade in my Wacko for Flacco t-shirt? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> we will gladly, gladly grab that shirt for you and give you a new uh, training camp ready to ride shirt uh, with Russell Wilson on it. Uh, we, Nate and I come back. The Broncos had uh, two interesting draft picks with their first two selections, an outside linebacker and a tight end. Uh, what do we expect from those guys here in year one? But first, we need Spilly to fill us in on the Rockies. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Breaks Plus in Centennial for the final giveaway of our free limited edition extra soft t-shirts coming later today at noon. 
Just to clear this up, Nate and I will be here from 9 to 11. The T-shirts show up at noon. They'll be here from noon to 1. Get all the details at DenverFan.com slash shirt. Um, you got to feel this shirt. You got to feel this shirt, man. You got to feel this shirt. They are soft. They are soft. They're a, a tech fabric shirt, but they're very, very soft. And they Super do soft. feel really good. Uh, Nick Benito was the first selection of the Broncos in the 2022 draft class. Greg Dulcich was uh, the number two selection. Uh, um, so, I guess, suppose I will turn to you, my man, the former NFL tight end. What are your expectations for Greg Dulcich here in year one? Will he surpass Noah Fant's rookie numbers of 40 receptions, 562 yards, three TDs, and a 14-yard uh, reception average? Um, my first thought is to say no, just because he's he's not a starter as of now. I think he's going to start behind Alberto on the depth chart. Of course, we're not going to really know what he's got uh, until he puts on pads and, and, and a helmet. That's going to be happening in a couple days here. Now, when training camp starts tomorrow, they got a couple days of ramping up where they don't have pads on, they don't have helmets on, they can't do contact yet. I think that's three days of that or whatever. So it's not going to be till next week till we get to see Greg Dulcich play actual football. What we've seen him do is run, right? He can run. He's a fast guy. He, uh, he's, a, he's a pass catcher type of a tight end. But I actually read a quote from him in an article saying, look, I'm fast. That's my advantage here, and I'm going to use it in the NFL. Um, that is not going to work for him in the NFL. Everybody's fast here. So your speed actually can be more effective if you learn how to throttle it, if you learn how to use it more selectively. And I think what Noah Fan didn't understand is that, yes, he was the fastest guy out there as, as a tight end. But, no, you don't have to beat him with speed every time. These guys um, are, are trained to watch your body, to watch your body lean, to watch your body movement. And if you don't set up your routes – with, a, with some shoulders, some hips, a head fake, throttle down, take your time, understand the timing of the route, you're not going to be open. Noah Fant did have some pretty decent numbers, but I would say that he underachieved as far as um, kind of the expectations around, you know, when he was brought in, why he was brought in, and the, and the amount of opportunities that he had. He was kind of the first look a lot of times last year. I mean, for those first 15 plays, three or four of them were going to Noah Fant. And oftentimes he would catch the ball and just kind of fall right there. Uh, wasn't making a lot of moves. I think Albert O has the ability to make more shifty moves, um, to run after the catch a little more effectively. He's a bigger body, I think, than Greg Dulcich by a little bit. But it's going to be between those two guys. Which guy's the better blocker? Which guy's the better all-around tight end? Which guy can be a better decoy when we want to run play action? To be a better decoy, you have to have some good blocks. Mm-hmm. You have to be a believable blocker. We have to be able to go front side, run the ball to you, and you make your block, and it is a successful run. Once we do that a couple of times, then we can run the play action pass. And I think whichever one of those tight ends can master that process better is going to be the guy who gets more playing time. And just because Alberto has had more experience, he's got a leg up on Greg Dulcich. So I think that Alberto is going to start the season as the, the number one target at tight end, whether or not Greg Dulcich can supplant him, uh, yet to be seen. But I don't see Greg Dulcich topping no offense numbers in his rookie year. Uh, now, we got uh, two things we're, we're working against. Russell Wilson, traditionally, uh, particularly uh, in the past, recent past, has not really taken advantage of his tight ends in the past uh, game in Seattle. And then looking uh, at Aaron Rodgers' numbers from last year in Green Bay as far as the tight ends, uh, you got... Uh, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, guys like that, uh, Tyler Davis, uh, Dominic Daphne. All told, there's about 70 catches for all the tight ends, all five tight ends in Green Bay last year. Uh, so it doesn't appear as if Nathaniel Hackett 
necessarily features the tight end position. And Russell Wilson uh, certainly has not had this amazing connections with his tight ends in the past. You think that works against uh, a guy like Greg Dulcich? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's you know possible to ignore that reality. Now, Coach Hackett is going to tell Russell Wilson you know what he wants him to look at and what he wants him to do. If he wants him to get the tight end more involved, he's going to let him know that. He's going to call plays so that can happen. But at the same time, you got to look at the personnel and the way that George Payton and Nathaniel Hackett have, uh, have kind of stacked this tight end group. You got Eric Salbert, who's a big road grading type of blocker guy. You got Eric Tomlinson, who is the exact same. Both of those guys are going to make the team in all likelihood. So those two dudes tell me that they're going to rely heavily on blocking tight ends. Um, you also have Andrew Beck, who's kind of a tweener, right? He's a halfback guy, but he's not a pass-receiving guy. He can do that. He's very versatile, but he's going to be in the backfield, lead blocking. He's going to be you know, on the wing, blocking as well. So um, it's Alberto and Greg Dulcich are your two kind of pass-receiving threats at tight end, but the other three dudes are bona fide blockers, right? And so that kind of falls in line with what you're talking about here. Maybe it's not going to be a, a tight end heavy pass offense, but at the same time, when I say that, and when other teams see that, it really opens up opportunities for those tight ends. So if you can become a decent blocker, Alberto or Greg Dulcich, the opportunities will be there. The question is, is Russell going to be looking at you? And really, is there any way to actually find out why he doesn't throw down the middle? If you asked him, what would he say? Uh, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I think, can't see. I, I don't think he would say that. You know, he talked about in that uh, Greg, uh, John Gruden quarterback camp video that I watched in 2012 that he was very good at finding the windows between his offensive linemen. And so from a down-the-field, middle-of-the-field perspective where the tight ends are going to occupy that space between the hashes most of the time, most tight end routes are going to be caught, downfield routes are going to be caught between the hashes, I think it's more difficult for a shorter quarterback, whether it's Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, to find that window in there where he can get that ball released. And typically the defensive tackles are the tall guys, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guys like that, um, those big arms, those big paws up in the air. Yeah, I'm sure it's easier for Russell Wilson to throw outside the numbers. There's just simply more space, and it's a it's visually uh, more open to find that window between the guard and the tackle than it is between the center and the two guards on the other side. Yes. Yeah, so when you think about the middle of the field, I think the, the the route you think most about is the seam. Correct. Right. And we haven't seen a lot of that um, with these Broncos. And we were pounding the table last year, throwing Noah Fan a seam route because he's faster than everybody. Mm -hmm. He can get down the middle of the field. But in this West Coast system, this wide zone and the play action passes that are predicated off of it, there's a lot of crossing routes when you're coming across the field. There are six different crossing routes. There's a, short cro there's a short cross, a shallow cross, a deep cross, a far cross, a basic cross, and a middle cross. Those are all crossing routes that should take you, obviously, across the vision mm -hmm. of the quarterback. So he doesn't need to be standing tall in the pocket necessarily and looking down the middle of the field to see you. He's going to be moving the pocket. He's going to be outside of the pocket. And so it presents a lot of opportunities for those tight ends. And those crosses that I just mentioned are at different depths. The short cross is like six yards right over the ball. You sit right down there. A shallow cross means you're coming all the way across, but it's five or six yards depth and you're coming all the way across in front of his vision. If it's zone, you sit your butt right down and the far tackle box. If it's man, you got to just keep going. Um, the basic cross is like, basic cross is a nice little middle route, 10 yards straight up the field stem, and you hook it up right there, and you're really feeling the zone coverage, and then far, I'm not going to go through every single cross, but, but the point is that 
It's a huge part of this offense, getting the tight end moving across the field mm-hmm. and presenting his big body as a target. And it's not always about sprinting through the zones, and I think that's what Noah Fant didn't understand either. you got to throttle down. When you're in an open zone, you don't want to run and rush to cover yourself up. And, and, and the young, fast tight ends, they think you just got to sprint everywhere. You don't. You have to feel what's around you and sit down when you see uh, an open spot, and hopefully Greg Dulcich has that instinct. This run attack with the outside zone, that opens up the bootlegs and all those kind of passing opportunities as well. So for these tight ends, Greg Dulcich and Albert O, and even the blocking tight ends, um, the opportunity to catch passes when the defense overcommits to the run play action on one side and it's a bootleg on the other side, there's all that opportunity. So it's not necessarily just tight end routes just down the middle of the field. Uh, when you do outside zone, the easy the easy counter to that is always bootleg to the backside, and if you can catch a linebacker or a safety with his eyes in the backfield with the run game, he's going to lose track of that tight end. There'll be a number of easy catches for no matter who's playing tight end just simply because the run game forces those safeties and linebackers to step up and get their eyes into the backfield to deal with the outside zone attack. That ever happened to you? All the time. You Shannon, got fooled? Shannon Sharp would get me all the time with that. Well, I guess it wouldn't be Shannon Sharp. It was more Mike Shanahan uh, getting me with, from a play design and Shannon Sharp reaping the rewards of, hey, I got to take care of Terrell Davis because this dude's been lighting this up. I step forward, Shannon Sharp runs past me, and there's no way I was going to catch him on the backside. So that bootleg pass was very difficult to defend back in the Broncos' heyday. Come on, and, Skip! And I got to assume Nathaniel Hackett is going to have that well incorporated into uh, the Broncos' offense this year. Uh, when we come back, we got to talk about the uh, the first draft pick of 2022 for George Payton, uh, Nick Benito from Oklahoma. I'll give a deep dive into him next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The the fan presents Chad and Nate. It is Chad and Nate, and we are broadcasting live from Breaks Plus and Centennial for the final giveaway of our free limited edition extra soft. Oh, man, come on. You got to feel this shirt. Yeah, feel this shirt. <laughs> That's coming later today at noon. Nate and I will be here from 9 till 11. Uh, the shirts with, with Rachel Vigil will be here at noon until 1 o'clock. Shirts are available while supplies last. Limit one per person. Our cam shirts are in high demand every single year, so make sure you get down here early. Get all the details at denverfan.com slash shirt. Uh, last segment, we talked about Greg Dulcich and his ability to fit into this offense here in year one. And now we're going to move over to the other side of the ball for the Broncos' first pick of the 2022 draft, Nick Benito out of Oklahoma. And what should the expectation level be for Nick? Um, uh, at Oklahoma, Nick was the primary pass rusher for the Sooners. Uh, I had a number of Sooner games over the last couple of seasons. He has what I would call a big play gene. He finds ways in big games to make big plays. I had them Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, I had them against Texas in the Red River Showdown, uh, games like that. And he found ways to make big plays in those games. And I've always had a thing for players who understand the importance of uh, not just you know who you're playing, but when is the right time to, to make this big play? Sacks in the first quarter are far different than sacks in the fourth quarter. Uh, heck, sacks in overtime, strip sacks, things like that. Nick Benito made those kind of plays at Oklahoma. Uh, he's got a really good get-off, uh, electric first step, great bend around the edge. But uh, as we have saw out there during the offseason, uh, my partner, he is not the uh, biggest of guys. 
And at this point, he's going to be asked to go against some road-grading tight ends and some big offensive tackles. And I think that's where the weakness for Nick Benito lies here in year, year one, is the ability to set the edge in the run game. And so he's not drafted to be a starter. Right. Right? And he's, he was our first pick, our first pick obviously a second-round pick. The first-round pick was dealt for Russell Wilson. But Nick Benito... Not brought in to be a starter. And so you look the same at Greg Dulcich, probably not brought in to be a starter right away. These guys are going to take a little time to develop. Um, so is it is it that he's just not stout? He's just a little light in the ass so he can't set the edge? Does this portend bad things in his future as far as being able to be an every-down guy? Does he need to put on weight? Yeah, I don't think he has maximized his body at all. So he can easily put on 10, 15, maybe even 20 pounds over the next couple of years. But, yeah, in order to – you know, be a true edge-setting uh, outside linebacker, he's going to need to add some weight. If he's in the game and you are, uh, you know, any of the offenses, say, in the AFC West, and it's a first-down opportunity, uh, yeah, if the quarterback has an opportunity to check to run, I could see that being looking around the, the front seven and going, check, check, you know, we're going to run at Nick Benito because, yeah, they, of all the guys who set the edge for the Broncos' defense, Bradley, Chubb, uh, Randy Gregor, those kind of guys, Nick Benito seems to be the easiest run target for an opposing offense. So you're saying an offense would see Nick Benito out there, check to run specifically because he's there? Uh, until he proves he can set the run, yeah. You know, typically as a young edge setter, uh, you are going to be tested, uh, you know, your rookie year to see if you can truly do that. Okay, you did okay with tight ends in Oklahoma, but let's see what you got against our 275-pound tight end who is a road-grading assassin as far as a run block. Let's see you deal with that, young fellow. Right, and, and in this regard, experience at quarterback does matter because – Inexperienced quarterbacks don't see that, and they don't check out of that, and they don't—they're not thinking about the defensive side of the ball. They're thinking about their side of the ball, right? Right, and we saw that a lot with Drew Locke. He would step to the line of scrimmage, and he's just looking behind him, like, "Where are my guys lined up? Where are my shifts? Where are my motions?" And it's not exclusive to Drew Locke. I use that as an example because we've seen it. But young quarterbacks—they don't have that locked into their mind. They're thinking about their side of the ball. The, the veteran, experienced quarterbacks are thinking about the other side of the ball. They're thinking about the defense, where they lined up, where's their weakness, where do I attack, um, where's the blitz coming from, all that kind of thing. So it, that does you know, bode well for the, those first three games. You are facing relatively inexperienced quarterbacks. I would say Geno Smith, a smarter quarterback than Drew Locke. Um, but if it's Drew out there, he's probably not going to be taking advantage of guys that way. Um, Davis Mills, probably not either. And Trey Lance, probably not either. So if you look at those three quarterbacks they're going to face in the first three games, it does provide some opportunities to get Nick Benito in there without getting taken advantage of. Now, Nick Benito, I think, can be an addition to the Broncos' defense as far as the pass rush game. So, obviously, Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregor are going to be the primary edge guys. I'd imagine Draymond Jones will be the probably the most uh, productive inside guy. But after that, as far as edge guys goes, we're going to Malik Reed, who's been the Broncos' leading sacker the last two seasons. we got Nick Benito. Jonathan Cooper still uh, got a quarter uh, Questionable next to his name as far as the ESPN depth chart after that uh, finger injury that knocked him out most of the offseason. Uh, Barrington Wade, Baron Browning, and uh, Aaron Patrick. So there's some guys out there, but Nick Benito is currently listed second behind Bradley Chubb as far as the ESPN depth chart. I think he'll get his opportunities in the pass 
pass-rush game, particularly if Russell Wilson and his offense are able to score more points than the Broncos' offense scored last year. Therefore, there'll be more pass-rush opportunities. Defensively, you're not always out there with an opposing offense who has the opportunity to run or pass. They'll be trying to come back in the ball game, put themselves in kind of a two-minute mode. That's when you can roll and rotate those pass-rushers in there. Nick Benito will get his opportunities, and I think he can be an effective in that. I don't think he'll be double-digit sack guy, but six sacks will be a good number as part of this rotation for Nick Benito here in year one. So how grimy does it get at practice? How much opportunity is Nick Benito going to have going against these tackles to get out there and show that he can be physical enough um, to be put in there, to to earn the confidence and trust of of his coaches? Is he going to have that chance at practice and training camp? I am interested to see how Nathaniel Hackett is going to run practice because even if they're limited by the uh, CBA rules about the number of padded practices and you can't do two-a-days and all that stuff, you can still have a very physical practice if you choose to as a coach. And I think the last couple of years, both you and I were a little disappointed with sometimes the lack of physicality at, at Vic Fangio practices. Yeah. And so for uh, Nathaniel... Which is I, weird because he's a defensive guy. Yeah. I, I, it didn't seem to fit with the, the what I assumed a personality would be. He also didn't do a lot of one-on-ones between receivers and DBs, which I found pretty uh, strange. Yeah, I found found that strange as well and if you're going to go with the kind of P. Carroll competition thing there does need to be one-on-ones between receivers and uh, defensive backs there does need to be one-on-ones with fullbacks and tight ends and outside linebackers and inside linebackers it needs to be nine on seven all those competitive drills need to be part of what you do sometimes for the the uh, physicality and the toughness that come from those drills but also just from the purely competitive part of practice now, I think Vic Fangio recognized that his roster wasn't very deep and he was afraid of getting guys hurt this roster is much deeper than what the Broncos had last year or two years ago. So George Payton has done a tremendous job of building up some depth. So hopefully from a practice standpoint, Nathaniel Hackett can dial up some things where he can see what kind of Ed Setter Nick Benito is. And it's not afraid of, oh my gosh, what if we get somebody hurt? No, you've got to evaluate some of these guys. And the only way to evaluate Nick Benito as a true Ed Setter is going to be yeah, we need one-on-one tight ends and outside linebackers. One-on-one tight ends and offensive tackles in the run game. We need to see these kind of things in nine-on-sevens and in one-on-one drills. Do you think this defense is better on paper this year than they were last year? Mm. Oh, wow. Let me see. Let me look around the defense just to make sure I'm... Well, uh, they haven't really lost. They've lost Shelby Harris. Yep. They've lost Kyle Fuller. Mm-hmm. Okay, other than that... Yeah, DJ Jones steps in at, at the, you know the interior defensive line. They lost Alexander Johnson as well. Yeah, uh, I think that's better. Um, yeah, Alexander Johnson is not was not a tremendous loss. Yes, I think this defense on paper should be better. I think Draymond Jones is beginning to come into his own. A healthy Bradley Chubb makes this defense better. Uh, Randy Gregor gives him an opportunity to be better at the other edge spot. A higher level of health in the secondary allows those guys who were thought to be the best secondary in all the football last year didn't pan out. A lot of that no was, fly zone two point right. A lot of that was due to health reasons. <laughs> they should be better. Yeah, so I think this defense should be better. And to your point from earlier in the show if we're asking Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett to have a meeting of the minds as far as the pass game that's going to take a couple of weeks to get there and this offensive line it will now be executing this new outside zone scheme that could take a couple of weeks to get that together as well so early on in the season to lean upon this defense which on paper should be better than what they were last year I think that's probably how it's going to have to go maybe the first quarter of the season. Yeah, this defense to me has more cohesion than the offense going into this training camp. They're a little more 
familiar with each other. Um, you know, they don't have an, a, a grand new leader that they have to figure out like the offense does. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also running a similar system, right? Ijiro Evero, similar system to Vic Fangio. Um, you know, some different wrinkles and whatnot. So I would, I would caution fans not to freak out if we see the defense kicking the offense's butt early on in training camp um, because – Offense is more about precision and the concepts and learning the system and you know defensive players. <laughs> so uh, that can kind of show up in in a very obvious way early in training camp. But uh, I caution people: don't get down on the offense if they're not clicking right away. They got to figure the defense out, and um, hopefully they do. Spoken well, like an offensive guy. Uh, you right. know, and, and through your, you, there is some, either man or zone. There, Tell me which one you got. There's a lot out. of truth to what you are saying. Typically, all around the league, early on in camp, the defenses tend to win a day because defense is just far simpler uh, from a learning standpoint until you guys offensively begin to put in all your wrinkles. When you're just installing your offense, yeah. we are further ahead. But once you put in your wrinkles and we have to respond to those wrinkles, that's typically when offenses move ahead in training camp. So this is an ebb and flow to the training camp process. Defense Defense wins the first week. Offense wins week two. And then after that, the best unit typically takes over from that point forward. So, uh, yes, your expectations for this offense should be tempered in, in week one. The defense will be further ahead and be more active and making more plays. That's simply how it's just going to go down. That's how it goes down in training camps all over the NFL. Uh, when we come back, uh, we got our distraction segment. That's next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. 